but yeah, it's Japanese. I'm oh, the fun. biggest freaking Carpenters fans over here. Um, they are amazing. And they're like, I also, I was in the Peace Corps in Kazakhstan. I mean, Ava, the Carpenters, there's just no comparison. They are just, everybody knows all the words of all their songs. And it's like, that was in the 70s, right? We're talking, you know, it's 2000. I love it. Oh my God. Do those hey. Japanese pressings sound good? Uh, no, not really. Oh, <laughs> All right, big city, yeah. Kansas City, how you feeling? Welcome to Center Cuts, episode 14. I'm your host, Patrick Spray. We are here with Judy Mills from Mills Records. How are you, Judy? I'm great. How are you guys today? Well, you are waking Mr. Mowry and I up. Chris Mowry producing this bad boy once again. We are coming to you live at like 9 o'clock in the morning on Tuesday, March 2nd. Um, and we've been chatting off air a little bit. I just showed Judy a, a 7-inch. Are those called 7 inches? I call them 45s. Is that what you call that? You can call them either one. Okay. Uh, Carpenters. Yesterday, won some more single that I bought it in Japan. As I've recently discovered, she's a, a, a fairly big Carpenters fan, going back the day. Um, <laughs> but yes, Judy is owner of Mills Record. Has it been, is it going to be eight years? 2013? Yeah. Eight years in May. Okay. Wow. And I, geez, Judy, I clearly remember the first store probably within a couple weeks of your opening and just riding my bike by my, what the heck is that? Is that a record store? And to see, cause then you expanded that space too, uh -huh. to the side. Yeah, we and busted then, through the wall there. Oh, did you literally just bust through the wall? Someone, literally. At one of the shows, just put someone's head down. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. Um, and then you've been in your new space five years? Probably, I'd, that I'd have to double check. Yep, yeah, yeah, I would say probably five years. Uh -huh. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, we're going to get into that in just a second. We'd like to talk a little bit about a calendar at the beginning of our program. And mm -hmm. we all kind of said there's nothing going on. <laughs> and we're feeling a little down, um, <laughs> lonely. What would a typical spring be for you? I mean, record store day would normally be what, April? It would normally be in April. And this year it's going to be in June. So. I I saw that. I was going to try to maybe time the episode to be around Record Store Day, and I'm like, I'm not waiting until June to talk with Judy. <laughs> um, with, I'm imagining this would be normally a busy period for the record store, just ordering and sorting, and would that be taking place like in March for a traditional Record Store Day? Yeah, so um, we would probably have orders finally in, um, but yeah, because you do like, we do, I do about two months worth of business on that one day. So it, yeah, and so it takes a long time to sort of get ready for it. And we would certainly be, um, you know, having a back room full of great used records. We'd bring out so many used records on that day, you know, like yeah. over like 1500. So th those boxes would be accumulating and we would be moving away and doing all that sort of stuff. But now, you know, I've always, I, you know, before I always said before, I, was like, I really miss not having spring, you know? So, unfortunately, mm -hmm. I haven't got to enjoy the last two springs. <laughs> Fortunately or unfortunately, just because of all the changes. Um, but yeah, normally spring is a busy time for us. And now it's sort of just a, let's get ready for taxes kind of thing. Well, and you make a good point too, because I think 
a lot of people, you know, rightly so, associate record store with new records, new releases that are coming out exclusively. But I know you've always had a big emphasis on releasing some used sort of caches that you set aside. Are those things that you're like consciously throughout the year, like, oh, let's hold on to this, you know, used 20 records that we got until record store day? Or is that just because you have extra stuff? Well, I've got more than I can bring out. I've got more than can put into the bins, you know? So, uh, and I don't like to just sit back and hold all the good stuff, but there is a point when we're about a couple months out where I'm like, okay, let's set aside some few choice things. Um, just so, and, and partly because Record Store Day should be a day for record stores, not just the exclusives. And there yeah. are people that aren't into the exclusives. And so I really wanted to make it fun for everybody who likes record yeah. stores, not just yeah. people who are looking for variants. Which of course you you know you support with live performances too. It's a it's a freaking party. That's that's well, thank you because that's certainly the goal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, anything on your calendars, Chris? We started talk. There, there's some sounds that a couple of the venues, Lemonade Park and the Ship, are going to start to kick <clears throat> things back into gear. Next yeah, month? I, I think the Ship actually has the Rex Hobart stuff happening like very soon. Awesome. But I'm not sure exactly the date on that. I do know that uh, Lemonade Park starts back up April 2nd. Okay. Um, and then it should be pretty much every weekend for the foreseeable future, weather gotcha. permitting, uh, gotcha. doing that. And then we'll ease into some smaller shows at Record Bar and, and things like that as, as, um, as it becomes safer to do so. So. Okay. Judy, are you a live music concert goer? Um, you know, I always have been. And then once I opened the store, I, I worked a lot. Like I was there just all the time. And then sure. we, and when we first started, we would do one to two, sometimes three in stores a week. And mm -hmm. honestly, that sort of, I would say sort of like, that was my fill. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you know, just in terms of, and it, you could, I, so I, so, but now, I mean, I, like everybody else have been missing it. So there are definitely artists and I'm going to make a point to see where, and now I feel like also I'm sort of in terms of, you know, staffing, I can, I don't, I don't have to be there as much. Right. You know, I've got Dylan who's amazing. And so I get to actually kind of live more like a regular human. So I'm looking forward to it as much as everybody else is now to be back. And yeah. See someone I'm just curious because I mean, obviously you can have it in your own backyard, I suppose. What, what was the last show you went to? The last show I personally went to, I can't even remember. Were you able to get out during the, or during the pan, it's still going on this past year to see any live performances? During, you mean this last year since? Yeah, since March. Since the lockdown? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I haven't done anything like that. And okay. partly I think, is because I see, you know, like on the weekends, I'll see up to 500 customers a weekend. And I feel like even though we really are safe, I feel like I'm already sort of in a situation where I'm exposed a lot. And so mm -hmm. I just try to minimize my exposure outside of that. I'm a little older, you know, and um, I just feel like it's, you know, it was a safe thing to do. One, to not expose other people to what I've been exposed to, but also, mm -hmm. you know, not adding to my own exposure. Does that make sense? Absolutely, Judy. And, you know, I, I didn't either until, geez, I guess in August, maybe beginning of August, Lemonade Park, we had an opportunity to have a couple of our artists perform out there 
the Black Creatures, Calvin Arsenia, Fritz Hutchison. And I just got to tell you, it's, it, you, you just feel so safe. It's just so well laid out. It's so clear. It's not a big space at all. And then the ship, they kind of switched their situation where the deck outside now has become the stage and then people sit out in the alley, but actually up like on the loading dock. Mm-hmm. And it's also, you know, I think you, you just, you take as many precautions as possible and make yourself feel as safe as possible. Um, and again, Chris, you know, you did it two nights a week for, you know, several months. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I couldn't live without it. I mean, thank, thank, what I'm trying to say is thank goodness for those two places providing safe spaces. And I'm hoping we can find more this summer as we ease back into getting inside. But yeah, completely understand. And I've heard great things about how safe it's run. And I just want to be clear that I don't in any way think that in oh. any sort of judgmental fashion, because honestly, ever people that are working from home, like I, if I was working from home and that was my thing, I would I'd do a lot more extra things, you know? Absolutely. So, um, um, so that's just sort of the trade off that we, I have in terms of occupation. So I just don't want to come across as being sanctimonious in any way. <laughs> Did not. Didn't, didn't okay. feel that for a second, Judy. Back to Center Cuts. We are here with Judy Mills from Mills Records, and we just kind of talked about our boring calendar there. Um, let's talk a little bit about your life, Judy. As I mentioned, here, Tim Finn in Kansas City. I mean, Unbelievable Writer just did a piece about you, a wonderful interview about a month ago. And gosh, over the years, I probably, oh, thank you for being his interviewee. And Tim's just an awesome writer. Um, but I, I remember like right before the pandemic too, I mentioned Matt Roth had written a, an article for the bridge about four different record stores and their owners um, who all happen to be women or managers, but you, the people who are running the shop. And just, I've just read a bunch of stuff. I found a Ted talk that was really interesting. Oh gosh. Um, and I want to, I do want to reference back to that one. There was some cool stuff in there, but basically you're from, not Pittsburgh, Kansas, or from the Midwest, but you moved around a bunch, K-State, but were, were you growing up like in rural Kansas? Is that what I was understanding? Yes. Well, I grew up, you know, um, my, my first was like in, uh, I, I was ra- I was born in Oklahoma, and then oh, when yes. we were five, we moved to Osea City, Kansas, tiny little town, and then in junior high, that's what it used to be called then, right? We, I moved to Pittsburgh, Kansas. And okay. that's where I graduated. So it's always been small town. Okay. And I think in the article with Tim, you know, you mentioned like for a while in your youth, you were ready to sort of escape the small town feeling. 
And actually, it's interesting. So many of our guests, Chris, are from really stinking small towns, like five, yeah. 300 people, 500 people. Yeah. But as you, you know, grown older, you now have some fonder feelings about that. And you ever thought about moving back to the country? I'm not, I'm not saying give up the record store. No. Well, yeah. I mean, I really, really wish that I lived in a space where I could see the sunrise and the sunset without having to get in a car and go somewhere. And, mm -hmm. and so part of it is where I live. It's sort of a ditch. You know what I mean? Like it's right next to, you know, in Hyde Park. <laughs> And I live in the bottom where the river used to go through hundreds of years ago. So, you know, that's part of it. But I have thought about it for sure. And I also feel like small town America and rural town Midwest is forgotten in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And so I used to be sort of frightened when I would drive through those small towns. I'd get off the road to, on the way to go home or on going home. And I would feel sort of like, ooh, it's spooky here. But I feel like the forgottenness of small towns now kind of has an allure. I also feel like that in terms of working my, you know, my mother died a couple of years ago. And then I, I feel like that, you know, we had sort of a complicated sort of relationship and now in her absence, I've been able to sort of discover her and, and, and small towns have, you know, bring all that sort of back too. So I feel sort of a, an allure of it for sure. I don't know where I would fit into that. And I do feel like that, you know, the answer to the problems we've been having for the last four years and continue to have, as a nation, like if we could all just sort of embrace a lot of people living in those small towns, like that is the answer, isn't it? You know, and so, so all of these things are kind of percolating in my head. And I'm not saying that I want to move back there. I think that, but I would love to have like a little tiny house maybe. Right. Where I could just drive to on the weekends and have right. a giant garden or whatever. And I, you know, so I don't really know. I, I do feel like I need to make a decision about where I'm living now. So I'm kind of in this position of like, who do who do I want to be in the final chapter? You know, where do I want to spend the, that time? And I'm I just like I don't know if it's the pandemic that has me thinking these sort of things and your own sort of mortality and all that sort of stuff. But um, I feel like that is part of that lure to like or that romance that I've been sort of creating about small town. That's fascinating. I have some very similar thoughts. And again, maybe it's just getting older, reflecting about life, like. Where do I want to be? If I've got one shot, you know, what, what, right. do, you, what do you want to do with it? But you could also just move to a high rise and you could see the sunrise and sunset, you know. That is true. That's true. By putting, light. But birds, I mean my birds. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. Some, I guess I think feel of you as a city person, but reading again a little bit about that. And so you, you talked about your childhood. Sounds like it was a fairly strict household. Your dad was busy working, but he would come home occasionally and play some music. But my question there was like, what kind of records was he spinning? I mean, was that all over the place? I mean, yeah. I'm just thinking it was like conservative, traditional music. Very focused, old country. So, you know, mm. Line and, um, you know, Jerry Reeves and like um, Bill Reeves and like, uh, you know, all the, all the old, you know, Loretta and, um, 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 Conway Twitty. George Jones and Conway Twitty. Yes, okay. all of those. Very, you know, radio, uh, less Loretta Lynn. I think I discovered that because Loretta Lynn wasn't really played much on the radio. So that was a later thing. But like anything that was played on the radio, on country radio back in the 70s was what my dad would listen to. You, and you had a family like turntable or system? Oh, yeah. No, it was one of those big old consoles that, you know, 
And I remember, I, I remember the sounds of that wood console slide on top, what that was like. And, and then, you know, we didn't, my, my dad was the one who would always initiate when it was time to listen to, um, to records. And so, and he only did that. My dad did work a lot. Like he was, so, you know, that sort of started with nothing and in his life and he owned his own business at the age of 19. And so he did that just by one, he was smart. He is smart, but he, uh, um, just worked his ass off all the time. Mm-hmm. And so, and in doing so that's, he, that was his version of being a father is supplying, you know, us, uh, with, um, you know, with a lively, you know, a like his a giving us, you know, supporting us financially mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. how my father became or felt like was being a good father. So, but when he was home and it was time to put on music, it was going to be a good day. And, oh. um, and it was, he was always in a good mood. He had, he had some time and that was just, it sort of became a symbol of, oh, okay, things are going to be okay right now. That's beautiful. Yeah. Was he, would you say he, he wasn't a collector? He just liked music. No, he just, he just liked music. And I mean, that song was cheap. Every time we, I remember the, the big thing was when we would go to Topeka, Kansas, because that was the big city next to where we lived. And like, and we'd get, we'd get records that came on. That's what, because that's where I was headed with that. I was like, where, where was he finding his records, or where did you eventually find your records? Were there record stores or Kmart? Not, not where I grew up. There was, I never had that experience of going to a record store until I went to college. So wow. just because, oh, really? yeah, no, I didn't have that at all. Oh wow, yeah, there was a place I grew. Up, I'm from Kansas City, but moved away, but it was called Venture, which was like Kmart. Yes, yes. And I was allowed to get a single, or remember they had like the floppy records, the seven inches. They weren't uh-huh. really firm. Flex, flexi disc. Thank you. Okay, and so you know, my mother, my father would let me get one every month or so, something like that. I was just so coveted, but. I didn't realize there were like record stores. I just thought they were in department stores like you're buying a pair yeah. of shoes until probably high school, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, was your mother into music? I know you mentioned like you'd hear stuff on the radio, but did she collect, buy records or listen to records? Country music made her sad, she always said. So she didn't like it. And um, <laughs> so, um, and and I get that now. I mean, those voices, yeah. yes, it is, you know, and that was, that was something that she always, she, you know, had to deal with a lot of undiagnosed situations at the time, you know, mm-hmm. so loneliness was something that she fought daily and it just would bring those feelings up for her. Um, but, but the, uh, yeah, in terms of like hearing it, like my, my uh, the radio. So she would, we would listen to the radio and that was how we woke up. And I just remember so many times hearing, you know, songs playing on the transistor radio in my parents' bedroom as a, yeah. as a wake up call and just sort of like, Oh my God, that song is so sad, you know, like, um, and just, you know, yeah. So radio was, again, that was just part of your life. There oh, was yeah. another way to consume music necessarily. I mean, there were some TV programs, but I just think that for certain generations, we just have all those touchstones to those songs that you'd hear, like, you know, on the, the pop stations or again, the country station. Interesting though, that your father found some joy pleasure from these country songs meanwhile your mother was not necessarily a fan you uh-huh. have one sibling you have a younger brother i have a younger brother yes was he into music was he no i mean he was very he's always sort of very athletic and always on the move and like i mean his fa- favorite song still is um 
um, I am a survivor or that, that uh, Eye of the Tiger song. Yeah, heck yeah. It's not yours? I freaking love that song. <laughs> that's still his favorite song. Oh. So, you know, so that's, that's sort of that ever. And, and I'm getting, and I, I should not be making fun of it. It's just that he just, he doesn't, music is just not an important part of his life. Got you. That's always interesting in families too, how someone can be just so hardcore and the other person, whether it's, you know, athletics or art, yeah. Um, any, did you play any instruments? Any other music exposure? Church stuff? Sing no, I, well, I mean, I, I feel like I can took the bath of a lot of this, which is I took a piano for a couple of years and I, just, I still remember the house of the piano teacher. Like it was a very weird experience. I didn't stick with it. Um, it became a battle, like you should practice and like, oh, you're not gonna tell me what to do. Okay. And so I defiantly didn't just as a, a larger point. You know, I feel like that happens in, in, in a lot of, when you're growing up. And then I, I, I uh, bought a guitar and took guitar lessons for like a year, but that didn't last. Like, you know, so um, I enjoyed that sort of thing, but sort of sticking with things, you know, when you're young, mm -hmm. no one's going to make you do it. Just didn't do it. I got you. Okay. So I, I very much have zero musician. Like um, I don't approach music like a music, like a musician and a, a lot of ways that I always feel like I have to preference people that like, I'm not a musician. I'm not going to experience, I'm not going to talk about music like a musician. I feel like musicians talk about music differently than say the rest of us. And I don't think that there's, I don't think that there is any one's better than another, but they are different. And I always never want to present myself that I am an expert and that I, you know, can understand why things sound the way, the way that they do because not being a musician and not being excited, I don't. And so I'm, I, I feel pretty clear about that, that that's a difference. And I like to let people know that. No, I and also I like to acknowledge others who also feel that way because their experience with music isn't less because they're not a musician and they shouldn't feel uncomfortable about it. And, and they should still be able to, just enjoy what it offers because that's what it's really there for anyway. I so appreciate that. And I think many others do too. You're, you're very open about that as far as, you know, coming into the business, into the record store industry, I suppose you, you didn't necessarily have that background or weren't necessarily an expert as you mentioned in music, but that's not what it's really about. It's providing your, your customers, your family to have that experience, to share, to communicate, to have that joy. And just because, because I don't play an instrument, I've tried, just because you're not technically proficient or even have an interest in that doesn't mean you cannot be just a huge lover of music. This jacket don't keep me warm, no. This jacket don't keep me warm. It's nothing like your arms, no. But it's not like you used to do. This jacket don't keep me warm. That's what summer was for. But the fall came, then the fall came, then it all came down, all came crashing down. I've been cold since you've been found. Yeah, yeah, I've been low since you in the ground. I've been trying to hold on to the pieces you left me. I think you said like the first live show was going to see Journey and before going to college. Is that right? 
Yeah, that was, well, that was my first really big show. I think there might be some small things. Okay. You know, but that was my big arena show. And really? yes, I went on a thing where I love Journey. And that one is hard for me not to be embarrassed about. Like, I can, I know oh. all the lyrics still. I did a little thing where I went to, with my boyfriend in high school, where we went to go see him in Kansas City, and then we saw him in Joplin, and then we saw him in Springfield. Like Heck yeah! Where was the, so where were, that's what I want to ask is, where was that show? The one you mentioned in the article. Oh, I, I think, uh, what, oh God, what's that? Like, yes, Kemper. Yes, no so, They would have like REO, it'd be all day long. And like, oh yeah, Summer Jam. Yes, that's what it was. Okay, so I, I graduated grade school, whatever, 82. And that was when Journey's Escape came out. You know, the one with the freaking fireball on the front. Oh, yeah. uh-huh. And as you mentioned, like my parents had an old console. Uh, I think my dad brought it back from Vietnam, but the speakers on the side, and I would just lay out on the floor and had like five records, four and a four, Journey Escape, Sticks Paradise Theater. I freaking love that album. I mean, everybody knows the one that's been, again, killed in karaoke, Don't Stop Believing, but <laughs> right. that's a great record, Stone in Love. Um, uh-huh. And then so I started going backwards into their discography. Uh-huh. Um, I'm just guessing that must have been about the Escape Tour. Yeah, it was. Oh, it was? Yeah. Oh, I'm so jealous. That's huge. <laughs> That's huge. And then I saw them years later when Steve Perry had been replaced by that guy from like Australia or New Zealand or was it the Philippines maybe? Okay. Unreal. Yeah. Unreal. He's I, a, I haven't seen them in that iteration, but I watched that documentary expecting to be like that. Oh my God, he was adorable and so happy and so gracious or grateful to be in that situation. He seemed awesome. There's a documentary? Yeah. Yeah, I, I always confuse it because Journey, they had the guy from the Philippines who was like a karaoke singer who just yeah. crushed it all the time. And then there was Boston, I think. They hired a guy that was also a karaoke singer but worked at Home Depot. <laughs> oh, seriously? Yeah. I love that. <laughs> See, and again, it's just that time period right there. I, I was actually not a Boston fan. No offense to anyone who is, but like Sticks, uh, I've already mentioned Foreigner, like all those album covers are just so iconic for me. Like I cannot ever disassociate the feeling of putting the needle on the record or my friend's house they did. And like, do you have pieces of eight? Do you have Cornerstone? You know, same thing <laughs> with Journey. But yeah, I saw them like 2000, maybe 90, or sorry, like 1997. And it was, it was, you're right, he's from the Philippines. Yeah, unreal. If you ever have a chance, I'm telling you, just chills. Just <laughs> unbelievable. Awesome. So you went to K-State? Yeah. And Dylan went to K-State too? He did. Well, he went to K-State as a, in graduate, as graduate school. Okay. I went to K-State in graduate school too. Okay. And um, studied, I don't think I know that about you. English. English lit. You're an English major? Yeah. Oh, I love you. Great. <laughs> so awesome. I mean, I duh, I probably should have assumed that from the books. Are um, you too? Yeah, I'm an English teacher. I, mean, oh, I, have I didn't English realize teacher. that. Yeah, I taught English for 25 years. Um, <laughs> okay, well, and then of course, I know what that means. It's like we have no like real job possibilities because we're like <laughs> exactly. English majors. But then again, it means you can do everything. Um, <laughs> exactly. Did you go 
directly like into the corporate world after that? Oh, actually, hold on, let's go back. Tell me about, tell me about like the Manhattan music experience. Were you out record shopping there? Were you going to shows there? Was that a developmental stage for you or was it just part of being in college? Uh, you know, as, as an undergrad, I feel like I didn't really join in any association. Like I made a point that I wanted to move there and be in my own apartment and have my own sort of experience. And then, and then in retrospect, that probably wasn't a great idea, but mm. I just, I felt like I needed that or whatever. And so I felt like that I sort of was kind of isolated as an undergraduate, sort of trying to figure out who I was, not there, not here, that sort of thing. And so I do remember going to see, see Steve Bob and Rich. Oh yeah, I, yeah. And yeah. so I remember going to see them, but I I wasn't necessarily into that music scene at, at that point. I do know that's where I discovered uh, a, a Rolling Stone, and so suddenly I was able to listen to music based off of things that I heard that I wouldn't have been exposed to necessarily, mm. because before I was listening to things everybody around me was in, in mm. the small town I grew up, and so that's where I was. Oh, there's a whole world. Oh. I can discover a new music that I wouldn't be to, and also college radio. So um, my friend was, um, what was it called? God, my memory's really bad about that, but the college radio at K-State, and my friend was a DJ there, and um, and Joel Hornbossel also was, mm. and they were friends, and so, and so just college radio exposed me to all kinds wow. of new, you know, so I'd say that was really where my, was my music experience as an undergrad. And, and roll, are you t referring to Rolling Stone magazine? Yes. I didn't even oh. know that really existed until I went to college yeah. at the bookstore. I'm like, oh, God. Were you into Spin? I'm oh, sorry, what? Did you read Spin magazine? That came Was Spin out around that, back in the early yeah. 80s? Not quite. Maybe 90. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that again, that was just such a huge part of the experience for me to getting a subscription to Rolling Stone. I went yeah. back to... Um, we went to Korea a few years ago in Seoul and they have this like music museum, but it's living, it's all vinyl. You'd freak oh, awesome. high end like listening stations. And then they have facsimile copies of every single Rolling Stone issue. And I remember picking one up from like 19, God, I don't know, 74 or something. Uh -huh. And they're big. So much information. I mean, every single article I'm just like pouring over. I'm like, Again, I could spend a, a year in that place, you know, but you that's how you found, that was music discovery, right? There, yeah, for me, that was like, oh, yeah, this is amazing. And so <clears throat> who was that? And then, as you mentioned, like the college radio station, I just asked, too, we had from Midwest Music Foundation on, who also went to K-State. Chris, what was that, that bar? Referring Annie to? Annie Mays, I'll bet. There you go. Okay. That's the one. So you never stumbled in that particular oh, yeah. one? Oh, you did. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but but when I was there, enemies didn't have bands or not a place where they didn't have live music. But I, I went there a lot, several okay. nights a week. <laughs> okay, okay, <laughs> place to be. I guess I need to go. Even as an undergrad, because you got to know people. And it was yeah, no, that was yeah. Well, and our the drinking age was eighteen when I was growing up until it it changed. Like my senior year in high school, I want to say. Yeah, because there'd be 18 places, then there would be some places. And then also there used to be things where you had to get a club card, and it was to be in over 21. Oh, yeah. Remember those oh, weird things? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was in Lawrence. So um, coming out of K-State, then it looks like you, I want to say maybe it was like you were with Clinique and with, um, not Restoration. 
somebody or Urban Outfitters, somebody had mentioned like two bigger companies that you had been working for. Well, I moved back to Kansas City and I worked at a bookstore for a while. And then I worked, I was a makeup artist for a year. And then I went back to grad school and I, and I was in grad school for about four years because I taught a lot afterwards and, and they're around. And then I came back to Kansas City, still working for Clinique and then sort of doing corporate things with Clinique and did that for several years. Got you. What were you teaching? Oh, I taught English. High school? Uh, no, like I, uh, well, I taught, I, I was a um, teaching assistant, so I did that for a while, and then I did it sort of as a, um, you know, um, what do you call it, like it, I wasn't a professor, but I was an instructor, like at Johnson County oh, oh, Community wow. College and places like that. Oh, wow, wow. Yeah. The life of an adjunct is not a good life. So no, that <laughs> no, it's not, and it still isn't exactly even professors i mean it's very rare you're going to find a full-time professor anymore they get paid the same wage they were paid in 1970 yeah criminal um okay so you had some corporate experience and i've read too where there was a time maybe this is 2011 or so where you were coming home from somewhere with a bundle of records and you're like what the heck is going on in kansas city I want to be able to find a record store or new records, I think is what you were specifically yeah. for. Well, I, you know, wh what I was doing was sort of coming to a close and the question was, do you want to transfer? And I'm like, no, I'm done. I've been doing this for long enough. I just time to do something that is more inspiring. And so I really just took some time off. I was fortunate to be able to do that. And then, um, but while I, all the times that I was, I, I traveled, you know, for, for work. And every time I would travel, I would go to a record store in other cities, but there wasn't a place to do that. I mean, and I remember that there was a new release that came out that I had, someone had sent me a link and I, it was leaked. And I'm like, I got to get this. When's the release day? I was looking forward to it. And I went to go get it on release day and I sort of scoffed that. And mm -hmm. so I started noticing that nowhere in Kansas city, could you actually have that experience? And I think that's, you know, so the timing worked out for me in terms of I want to do something different. I'd like to use the skills that I, um, you know, have honed over the years, and but also in a way that's my own. And it seemed like, well, there isn't, there aren't, there isn't, there's a, there's a hole in the market here. There's no place to go buy new music. You can't buy it on the release day. And um, in this whole city, how can that be? Yeah. And, and, and like, I can't be the only one who's having this experience. And so I just decided to take the risk. Mm. That's again, growing up. I think for a lot of people really discovering the ability to go get records happens when you get your driver's license, you know, 16. Yeah. And that's really how uh, my business partner, Jim and I forged our relationship in high school was, you know, after school, some of the guys wanted to go play basketball, which we did sometimes too. It was like, no, let's go to, Peaches Records, let's go to Penny Lane Records, let's go to Music, and we would look forward to those, you know, those release days every Friday, yeah. Tuesday, yeah. and you know, there'd be a list of all the stuff coming out, You're like, I'm going to get that one, why don't you get this one, uh -huh. uh, it's a special, you know, you waited for it, there'd be lines out the door sometimes, depending yeah. on what the release was, so I completely understand where you're coming from, wanting to, you know, let others have that experience too. Yeah. So you took the plunge and got the first space on, that's actually Westport Road, right? It was yeah. 2013 uh -huh. and quickly kicked the hole in the wall, <laughs> shoved, the, shoved the drummer's head through the wall to expand. Um, did you, 
I mean, how did that work? Just like you, you had no stock, you had no, you weren't like selling your personal collection. Did you just start by finding some people who had some records to sell or no, was it just, just new? It was all new vinyl. And I okay. had, I had, I didn't read, I didn't know anybody. I hadn't been in the industry at all. The only thing is that I had just been a music fan. And, mm. um, but I knew that I was smart enough to figure this out. And I had a friend who was operating a music blog in Nashville and I enlisted his help and hired yeah. him. And so between the two of us, we figured out, well, where can we get these things? And one of the things that I probably could have done or should have done, and it's also sort of indicative of a fault of mine continuously, is I tend to, I can figure this out and I can tend, I'll put my head down and dig in and I don't ask for help. And so I probably should have reached out to some other people who are already in the business and said, hey, how do you do this? Instead, yeah. we just sort of, two laptops and Google figured out where to get things and what to do and make, made a lot of mistakes, but sort of figured it out and um, started bringing new music in. And we it, found the resources for it. And then I sit down one day and I'm like, who do you want in the store? And I just made, spent an entire day making a list of these are all the kinds of bands that should be in the store in terms of just sort of curating what I want now. I, I just curating what the selection should look like. Yeah. Was it, is it Chris from Nashville? Crystalline. Uh-huh. Okay. I remember just a couple times meeting him, but I mean, God, what a plunge, Judy. Like you, you, you gotta have some, some cash reserves just to be able to go have that product. You know what I'm saying? And just like, I'm going to hope that people buy the ones that I've chosen. You can't just get every single record either. Well, um, I, I knew with the internet, like even if I couldn't sell what's there, that with the internet, I would eventually be able to sell it. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And so especially you need to make the right choices. And I also, the rent was small enough. And I also figured there are other things that I could do in that building if nobody showed up at that. Yeah. You know, how can I make a living? And honestly, I didn't have any cash reserves. I really didn't. Like I, I, never, I didn't take out a loan. I didn't, you know, I just sort of, had this small amount, let's see what we can do. And then anything that I made went straight back into the inventory. And I just kept doing that. And I, I was fortunate that, you know, my, I had lived in this house for a while. I bought it dirt cheap because it was a, it was a, it had been a drug house. And so it was gutted out and mm -hmm. I bought it cash for nothing. And so I didn't really have sort of over much over personal overhead. And I just chose to live on nothing. <laughs> and made a lot of sacrifices Woo! and worked my ass off and it thank goodness kind of you know I mean I'm still not working for much you know what I mean and that's okay that's a choice and decision I made when I decided to do it but it's enough that I can you know I can eat you know right. I can, you know I think but, you yeah you're I did guess I didn't consider that thought you know how the music the record store business has changed and the fact that yeah you can sell things online whereas growing up that wasn't an option i think that you made some early decisions to to make people feel welcome there whether it was you know like um signing up for the for for the like the list getting credit for buying records there you know making you feel like you you're a part of it i think having you know local artists perform early it seems like getting them in there or maybe where they weren't able to perform in other places too, just kind of that DIY feel, which I think you've carried on to the newer space, the bigger space.
for like potential record store owners moving forward like these are lessons learned or this is what I recommend I mean you before I have you answer that question in that TED talk that I was so fascinated by you were trying to I don't want to say dispel two myths but there were two common threads out there that one like the vinyl resurgence is a resurgence yes but you had this incredible graph where you showed like the record sales up to i think like 75 then just plummeting down and then this little kind of blip moving back up and then the other one was sort of like this myth that you know it's these hipsters um you know starting this resurgence um i'm just sure you've just seen so much just again coming into that new what what would you tell like a new record store owner or because I think, I think some younger people too think, Oh man, this is so great. Everybody's doing it. You know, everyone's buying records. It's, it's probably a day-to-day relationship cultivating your, your customers to come back. You know, Uh Um, it's not some pot of goals. I guess what I'm trying to say. Oh God, no. So you said a lot of things that I want to touch on. And one of the things you talked about, it's interesting because you're you're talking about the things that well you are right in in terms of when i opened the store i didn't really want it to be like a lot of the other record stores i've been in because a lot of the other record stores i've been in it's all about being very exclusive and having very um um obscure music tastes and Mm -hmm. um and therefore you are better than others because you know more and, and your taste is better and and there's a sense of that and now one i feel like a lot of record stores their reputation just got created and people would fall into that but two there were stores that would sort of you know um cultivate that also you know well, and so i didn't want i didn't want to be that store and a lot of people like oh you know are this we had to close because no one's buying records yeah but you're an asshole every time i'd go into that store you would be an asshole like and mm-hmm. nobody would talk to me or greet me and make me feel comfortable. So you can't just blame the customer always. I was like, so there was that. And, and so all the things that you mentioned in terms of giving service was something that was very important to me, mm-hmm. which is interesting because so many of those things have had to go on the wayside for, during the pandemic. And that's something I really miss right now is not being able to provide as much personal service. Like mm-hmm. we don't get into the racks and tell people you should listen to this record if you love that record as much anymore because people get too close to us. And so yeah. your people will be like right up in your face and like, hey, no man, like six feet. Like let's try to keep it at six feet. And and I want to keep it at six feet because I respect you and I want my staff to you know have the same respect. So so much of the stuff that I feel like it makes it fun and that we're really great at, we haven't been able to do as much because of mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And, and and I didn't even, which I didn't need to bring that up. But when you mentioned those things, I'm like, oh, I miss those things. Yeah. You, I mean, the, the stereotype, of course, is high fidelity. Yeah. And I've certainly been in record stores around the country where you just, the attitude is like, you know, what are you doing here? I'm doing you a favor by giving you some recommendation on something. Um, and, and again, I think every store here in Kansas City, though, 
has such a good, and you're all, you're all like, you're like choosing favorite children. I don't think I can do that. You all have such unique personalities yet common threads, which is we, we want our, our audience. I, customer just does not seem like the right word, but that's what we are. We're spending money, but we want our, our family, our community to come in and we want to meet them where they're at. Like if they need us to give them some advice, we will. If they can go browse an hour on their own, that's great. Um, one thing I love about Mills is I'm, I'm a CD guy. I, and I, I don't want to mess up Chris's connection, but I probably got, I don't know, three or 4,000 CDs still. Yeah, you do. And you carry a great number and, and kind of like records for me. I mean, I can spend 25 or $35 on a new record, but I'm more of the, I want to buy 20 used records or 20 used CDs for a hundred bucks, 150 uh -huh. bucks and have like a week's worth of music, you know? Um, and just that, that, exploration like you're just flipping through and you don't feel hesitant about well this record does cost $25 but I bought these other 10 for three four dollars each so overall my average is only you know you try to justify yeah. that you you feel good about that that you can take chances on things that you're like that album cover looks cool or funny and so I'm gonna get it um, and I think again your space and your staff um, that, that is a big part of it. Like every time I go in there, it was just Mike's birthday. What's Mike's last name? Leslie. Okay. I still call him like DJ Justin Pham from his minibar set. I never even knew it was Mike for several years. Um, but every time I'm like, Mike, you got anything local for me? What do I, what do I need to know about? It? You have any like, you know, rare 45 she can hook me up with. And you mentioned Dylan, mm -hmm. you've had quite a few artists who have, you know, worked with you too. And they've all got their unique flavor of, what yeah. type of music. Um, I'm sure that's probably tough for you and your staff too, not being able to share when the occasion arrives, like somebody asks for a recommendation because um, you want people to be safe. I mean, and we, and, and we still do that. It's just not the same level that we used to, you know, be able sure. to get out there. And when I'm referring to record stores, I'm not talking about the current record stores. I'm talking about the things I made a decision on when I opened my store, that this is what I want to be and how yeah. that's going to be opposite of, what was then back in 2013 but yeah no i mean we still try to do that but there's just i do a lot more pointing like oh it's over there which i would never right. point that's like terrible service and um and i would get out and talk about it and get excited about things but we just you know can't do that as much you're right? making good choices i i feel safe every time i come in there and you know i haven't been as my regular schedule but I think, you know, again, as we hopefully get some vaccinations here, yes. um, that's, we're going to get back to that experience. Tell us, because I want to talk about our other two topics here in a second. Tell us about 2021 and beyond, or how are you feeling? We've already mentioned Record Store Day normally would be in April. That's pushed back to June. Uh -huh. Last year, you had, what, three months of Record Store Days, basically in the fall. That was probably interesting. What, what's the outlook like for record stores 2020 i mean i think this year didn't vinyl surpass cds or uh -huh. in terms of in terms of yeah in terms of physical sales and you know again those couple of charts you showed in the Obviously. ted are just fascinating like we hear those numbers and think wow but then you showed like you know that is a sliver of the music sales yeah. compared to other formats and then you talked about like you know, the average number of hours someone spends listening to music on a stereo system is like 
four minutes a day, four to eight minutes a day versus the hundreds of minutes we spend on our devices. So it's all kind of relative. Yeah. Okay, so you 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 got a lot of things there. So sorry, I'm messing with you. No, that's fine. <laughs> so um, 2021, I feel good about 2021 because 2020 was a question mark, and you know I'm just like I'm I'm gonna be here on the other side of it, and so um, you know I may might mean I need to make some you know changes and rein some things in and figure some things out. But I feel like now I can we all can see the light at the end of the tunnel. So I can say with utter confidence that we will make it through this pandemic because we're almost through it. So I feel really great about that. So, um, and so now we're trying to sort of make some decisions about the best thing to do. I mean, we're still going to have limited in stores for a while, obviously. Oh, I see like, you know, that will happen through the end of the year, but like in terms of what are we gonna do at the bookstore? You know, we're trying to make some decisions yeah. about what to do that. Do we bring the bookstore over to the record store and just blow it out and have huge, like, you know, how do we make the best use of the space? Well, we're sort of curating some of our, our sections a little bit more and making them a little bit easier to shop. So we're just, we're trying to sort of fine tune the experience um, for sure. And, um, but I, I can't say that I've got ginormous plans yet. I like it's batten down the hatches. Let's, you know, bring up the shore, you know, shore up our reserves mm-hmm. and then, and sort of, so I don't really have any huge plans. I'm going to definitely get some signage on the front of that stupid building. So, <laughs> Finally, I love you know. the old Mills record sign too. Do you still have that? Um, the one that was, I have something over the stage that was from the other building. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. But now what I have is this, the oldest been there forever. And I know I don't want to take it down. It's not, it's, it actually says like Westport consignment and it was part of the building for years. Mm. Been, I, my first quote was $10,000 to fix the signage on the front of the store. And I'm like, no. I'm not doing that. So I just was sort of like, like, forget it. I'm not even going to bother with this. And like, I've had enough people say, I didn't know this was here. I'm like, okay, I got to fix the signage situation. So I'm going to fix that. But other than that, we don't have giant 2021 plans, except that we're very excited to start to be able to bring back really great service. And so I think that's going to be something to look forward to. And Records for Day is at this time, they're going to decide in March whether or not they're going to move it or if it's going to be broken up into multiple days. But at this point it will be June. And I guess the question is, you know, how many versions of that? Because as you mentioned last year, it turned into three different days right. and it sort of turned into each month for four months in a row because black Friday was the, right. so that was a uh, very draining and it's already a low margin product. The record store day releases. And then you have to put a ton of work into breaking it into three different days. So you would have the same amount of stuff, stuff. You have the same amount of staff to sell. Oh, sure. In three different times. So it costs you three times as much to sell the same amount of product. That Interesting. You day, which is fine because the goal is share it with the people. You know, it's, I don't feel like, Record Store Day is a big money-making thing. It's a friend-making thing. And so we do it as a service and so that we want that customer to come back and see us throughout the rest of the year. So we want them to start to, it's a beginning of a relationship. And so it gave us three different times to give great experiences to people. Right. We got a ton of compliments. And yeah. so um, so I just, I just, we'll just do that. Either we'll do it on a big thing on that one day or we'll break it up again. Yeah. 
I guess I came the day before Black Friday. I personally just don't understand Black Friday. I'm not doing anything on Thanksgiving. I guess I was remember that Wednesday I came in, or sorry, that, and people were outside, which is awesome. Was that, God, that was just last year, that Vinyl Nation too, piece where you were featured in that, that documentary? Yeah. That was awesome. Oh, God. thank you. I'm excited about it. They're going to do, they're going to do, they're going to try to do, they're in some, uh, what do you call it? Some film um, festivals this year. And then they're going to try to do a national, they're going to try to do a release in theaters and they're going to do a DVD package. It's, it's a fine film. And I felt it really captured the spirit of your space as well as some of the other ones around the country. And just the, God, just the love, just the passion. People. That was a frightening day for me, let me tell you. Oh, really? Record yeah. Store Day or the release of the film? No, being in that film on that day. Because that day is a make or break day. Yeah. Like, you have so much invested in that day in terms of just what you bring in mm-hmm. that like, if you don't make it that day, you could go out of business kind of day. And yeah. so I'm all, and I, 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 I really thrive on that sort of experience anyway like I just sort of like big events and things are always going on but I had to be mic'd up all day for that yeah. and so you know like there's a lot of emotions there's a lot of tension and I'm on a mic or phone all day long like what am I going to say you know what's going to end up in this movie and what expressions might be in my face and so and I didn't really know these guys at the time and had I realized you know what kind and generous people that they are I probably would have been a lot less nervous but they did a really good job of making the store look good and getting to know the customers really well. And uh, it, it turned out to be a really great experience. That That is available for DVD, Vinyl Nation? It's going to be. Okay. Because I subscribed to like the premiere, I think for a couple nights it was available and I get their news. Everybody, if you have not seen that, it's it's just, it's a beautiful piece of hey, film. Uh, hey, Patrick, real quick. We're getting tornado sirens right now. And we just got <laughs> alerts on our phones saying extreme weather, please seek shelter. I hear that, and all of a sudden I thought it was like because it was the first Wednesday of the month, but it's, it's not. Tuesday. Well, they sent a text out yesterday saying it was going to happen today because of the national weather. That's why I think it's weird that uh, as part of the part of the tornado drill, Casey Mail will sound that we're outdoor tornado warning sirens today at ten. So I think it is part of it, but I did get that. Yeah, um, I got an emergency alert text. Yeah. And then I checked the weather, and it says nothing. But you know what? My emergency alert disappeared. Did yours? I don't have my phone in front of me. Should I get it? Is that what you're trying to tell me? I should take cover? I don't think, I think it's part of the national drill. Yeah, I think we're good, but it was weird. Like we got, maybe it's like something that triggers when they run those, but it doesn't run on a Wednesday. Like I don't get an emergency text on a Wednesday. I don't know. But today's only Thursday, right? (laughs) Yeah, but they they announced yesterday they were going to do it on Tuesday because of the national, national thing. But okay. I also got the alert saying you should take cover, and I'm like, you? I was like, yeah, I like, I was like looking outside. I was like, pulling my ears out to see if I could hear the sirens. I was like, what is going on? I don't hear it. There's like no wind. Yeah, no, I looked, but it did. It's completely disappeared off my phone now. But I got it too, Chris. I'm not crazy. Okay, uh, so you will will probably get the mics will probably pick up a little bit of the sirens. So I just wanted to. Are you are you both feeling safe? I'm I'm good. Okay. Uh, I did want to say that I do really miss uh, living right up the street uh, from Mills uh, when I lived like right behind mini bar. Um, it would be like just a Saturday or a Sunday and Devin and I would be sitting around doing nothing. We'd be like, you just want to go to the record store and 
Hell yes. Check it out. So I, I did bring some show and tell really quick, uh, but I can be descriptive. So it, you know, plays for the audio listeners. This is, uh, these are a few records that I got from Mills that uh, just the way they sound is like, I'm just still like amazed by. Uh, that is a, that's a phenomenal. Hey, Ray, that's St- Chris is pulling up Steely Dan can't buy a thrill. If you're not a Steely Dan fan, what are you doing with your life? I think some of it's so <laughs> produced, but that record, like that first, there's like that only a fool can say that on there. It's like a reggae. Yeah. They're all over the place stylistically. That's a great record. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the prices, like this is, this right here, this Al Green record is the best $2 I ever spent in my life. I don't know <laughs> why it was only $2, but whatever I got home and played it, I was like, I, and also like there's something about like the used records, like you kind of wonder where they were. Uh, like who else owned them? Uh, so I actually probably buy more used records than than I do this. Al Green, it's uh, "Get Next to You" with "I'm a Ram" and a bunch of good stuff on it. Um, and then the other one is oh, yeah. uh, Kendrick Lamar's "To Pimp a Butterfly," which I believe this is an import. I'm not sure, uh, but because I remember this had just come out, and I was like, "Are you going to get that?" You're like, "Ah, uh, yeah, I think, yeah." sometime soon and then this i got a call saying hey it's here <laughs> that's my son's first record actually chris oh really yeah on that's vinyl. a good first record it is yeah. a great first record he was like a couple years ago i was like can i have a vinyl <laughs> <laughs> i'll buy by the way that is not a judy your english major vinyl is not a countable noun when i hear people say of vinyl I don't, it's, it's some vinyl. I'd like a record, right, yes. like two records. It's not a vinyl, is it? Am I no, mistaken? And I hate when they say vinyls. I know, vinyls. that's what I'm trying to say. But I'm but never going to correct because I don't want to be that person. But right. it's personal, like, oh, don't, don't. Okay, so <laughs> we have all concurred. It is not a countable noun. It, yeah, um, it's not. I think that's actually a really good place to kind of segue. I do want to say that I'm glad you mentioned um, Wise Blood. So you're thinking of, perhaps bringing that into your into the record store? I mean, because you already had a big book section before you started, right? Yeah. Um, perhaps. We're going to see if there's some... I, I feel like it's not necessarily producing enough, enough to um, actually um, then spend a lot of money promoting it. Because then you know, but but it need it needs something, and so we're we're looking at a couple of different options, and then if those options don't sort of pan out, we're gonna bring it over. That One, I think that I, I, part I really love the space that we created. Yeah. And I I also love that the record store has got so much space in itself, but like we're not utilizing all the space that we have in the record store as smartly as the other retail experiences do. Yeah. So and I and part of me would also just love having all the books and the records together in the same room. Yeah, but you, you know? when did that open, Weisblatt open like December, November yeah. 2018? Like literally right before. right before the pandemic started. I, I haven't been mm-hmm. in there, I feel terrible. I've told Dylan, I just wanna see it. I love books um, and wanna support you and what you're doing, but I just, I'm not getting out, but that was just bad timing, cheese. Terrible timing, and we we're open very small hours, or very, not very many hours. I think we're gonna extend the hours a little bit and then, um, like I said, check on the resources. I'm not. We're going to bring it. At least for now. At least to kind of get it established. I think we're going to still. We're not going to call. We're going to continue to call it Wise Blood Books in there. Because even if we do bring it home, I would dream of it actually breaking out and having its own home again. Okay. I, um, 
Jeez, we were doing good on time, but I got to ask you this question now. So <laughs> do you go to other record stores or even before you started the store, were you consciously looking at other either the business models or layouts or like, cause I feel like as a teacher, that's something good teachers do is basically we find other best practices and we make them our own. You can call it stealing, but, but if it, if it works, it works. Right. Is that something you have even have time to do? I'm not talking about Kansas city. Like you're in San Francisco or you're in Austin. I don't know. Well, whenever I would be, I, I went to all the records before opening my store. I, in general, shopped other record stores. Our okay. shop, at that point, just shopped record stores that are local. So mm -hmm. I would go just because, I, and, and that's where I started discovering, oh, there's a gap because what I'm looking for isn't here. Mm -hmm. And the experience I'm looking for isn't currently here. So, mm -hmm. and that's okay. These, all these things are fine, but I'm looking for a different sort of situation. And so that's the thing that I know I would go at. I could create that. Um, and then whenever I would travel, you'd always go to a record store. You know, right. and, and like, but uh, you're uh, oftentimes I was with somebody who didn't enjoy record stores. So I ended up buying this dumb things because I had to hurry up and get out of there. And I just <laughs> wanted to have a nice, you know, leisurely experience and shop for my own records. And so in that sense, it was sort of informed, but I didn't in any way look for a successful business model and anything like that, because that is completely not who I am. Mm. And I wanted to do my own in my own way and I felt that if I was authentic to what I wanted who I was and my own aesthetic and experience that I wanted to create that was the key to my success not emulating what's already been done and mm -hmm. and I and and honestly you know even now when I look around the stores that I admire most currently right now and this may be controversial I don't know are the stores that are authentically a personality, you know what I mean? So um, who have said, hey, this is a niche in the current market. I'm gonna fill that niche. Mm -hmm. Those people interest me the most in terms of what they're providing to this culture, this larger vinyl culture that is Kansas City now. Yeah, that, and I'm asking though too, because I've always dreamed of having a record store. Actually, that was my original pitch to Jim before we started the label and would still love to do it someday. But I remember like back in, 97 in Carolina and was thinking about it opening a, a CD store uh -huh. and Judy it was it was like a it was like a one-stop shopping model you could buy like as a franchisee was it disco round or need more disc I can't remember what it was and I remember like they would supply you with x number of CDs to get your inventory started uh -huh. but like you couldn't put up concert posters on the wall it all had to be like this very clean core like that is not what i'm looking for at all i want to i want a place that's lived in i want a place where people can get like old t-shirts and you know concert mm -hmm. posters and you know like you said chris an import of something i i want to have like funky stuff mm -hmm. um and i do think that every one of our establishments here in kansas city has that that feel you know it's like you said they found what their audience wants what their customer base wants and they've adapted to it also knowing this is what we want to provide too.
friends were equally skilled You don't know what you don't miss But the power is revealed In the presence of his perfect lips I know it might sound funny Maybe slightly absurd But his hands are equally skilled What's going on here? Welcome back, everyone. We are coming to you live from our three homes with Chris Mowry, our producer, and Judy Mills with Mills Records. We're all still breathing. And we've learned a little bit about Judy growing up, what kind of life it was like as a child around music, moving on to education, to starting the record store. We got a little bit of information about the bookstore as well. Um, these last couple segments here, Judy, we like just to talk about what's something you appreciate about the town we call Kansas City. Anything you want to talk about? Yeah, I'm, I, you know, a couple things come to mind. I, I do appreciate how this is a city, but it's a very small town city. And so um, I feel like you mentioned something that I thought about earlier and I want to touch back to that it has like so many people, like this is a blue city in the middle of two really red states. Mm. And, um, and so everybody that's, a, a lot of people that are here, you know, still have red parents. So if we want to just keep using this yeah. sort of support, you know, or, or, or raised around that sort of thing. So. Um, so it's kind of interesting to me that sort of mix of, of um, what do I say? How what, how people are raised and how they wanted to live and what attracted them to Kansas City, and also just the fact that there so many people here are from um, have moved here from a smaller town, and so it, Kansas City retains a very small town feel to it. Mm -hmm. I'm always amazed. They're like, how do you know that person? I'm like, I know you and you from completely different worlds, and now you guys know each other. You know, in just terms of how small. Kansas City is. Mm. And so I think um, I, I find that interesting and sort of an extension of my interest sort of like in, in small towns in general. But I also would say that I feel like Kansas City, I have been here long enough to see that when it was very embarrassing, Kansas City was embarrassed of living in Kansas City. And mm. there was a giant sort of chip on the shoulder and, uh, and, and then there was a sense of sort of feeling like we had to prove that Kansas City wasn't terrible. Right. We had to prove like, no, it wasn't it's not just Dorothy, you know, it's not just was the land of Oz, <laughs> which all the problems with that whole thing. And then now we are so proud of being in Kansas City. So there's just been a major sort of transformation. And nobody loves Kansas City more than Kansas City right now. And it's very it's kind of cute and it's just gigantically over the top, this love of Kansas City. And I I I think it's very sweet and it's really genuine and it's kind of been fun to watch that. And um, so I say that's one of the great things about Kansas City. Um, I think that, you know, in terms of Kansas City musicians uh, are the music scene. And again, I'm an observer. I'm not anywhere inside these scenes. So I just want to, I am no expert in that. But one of the things I feel like you can see over the years is Kansas City has to, Kansas City musicians have to work really hard. And, um, you know, to get noticed on the coast at all, Throughout history of music in Kansas City, you have to either move or relocate or travel a lot and you got to work your ass off. So if you're just naturally, if you were born this talented, but you were from LA, you're going to get noticed with a, with a lot less work than if you are mm -hmm. you know, famous here. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and sometimes it still doesn't happen, you know, even though you've done all that hard work, but that does mean that there's a lot of talent here a lot of industry, a lot of hardworking people 
working to make that sound happen, whether it gives them the end result of celebrity or not, that is still an energy that's created around here. And I appreciate that and enjoy watching that. You're, Judy, you're awesome. I really appreciate both of those thoughts. Um, I want to go back to the, what, what do you think has changed about Kansas City to get that feeling? Because like you said, me growing up, I just wanted to get the heck out of here. And that's why I joined the Peace Corps. Like, I don't even care. I'll go yeah. to this former Soviet Union, whatever. Yeah. And, 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 and no offense to anybody, but I mean, our company, the actual business, the label's name is Big City Exclamation Point Records because it's always just kind of been an inside joke between my business partner and other people too that we're not a big city, you know? We're, <laughs> we're a small town, right? But, but we would, you know, tell other people that it, it's, it's changed now. And I, I just wonder when that happened. I moved back in 2005. And when I saw like the development going on downtown, which had been a ghost town as a kid, as a child, it's like, what's this? I mean, do you feel like there was a particular year or something that happened to get people to be proud to be from here, to want to brag about our city, whether it's the arts or food or dare I say culture? Right. Well, I do think that, I think there's, I, I can think of two things. And again, this is just my observation, but I think the first thing is that rent started becoming very expensive in other cities where everybody was moving to. So there was that mm -hmm. sort of brain drain in some sense where you're an artist, you want to get out of here and you're going to move into these cities, but it can cost prohibitive because rent has gone up in so many large cities now. Yeah. So Kansas City had the, uh, you know, it, it, the rent was better. And so you could be an artist and live in Kansas City. Although alert, I think that can change and we need to fix that, but that's another situation. Mm -hmm. yep. So, um, so in doing so then, and not draining that sort of talent, it's just, it started to pool here and started to be more interesting places. And mm -hmm. so it started becoming something more that was that to be proud of. But also I feel like we can all look to when the Royals won the um, World yeah. Series. Absolutely. All, all of a sudden it's like, we're from Kansas City, damn it. You know, it's like we, and then that's, I feel like that definitely highlighted let's look at all the great things that have been happening around Kansas City and those that were the things that have been stewing and starting up and happening for like over the last five years but hadn't really noticed but once the uh we won the world series it's like oh wow look at all this now and it became yeah. sort of like the light to sort of shine around and I feel like that's where the pride started happening that's just my thoughts and I and I think too with that uh with that team specifically and like the winning of the world series, I, I was, I'm, I will be completely honest. I'm like a fair weather baseball fan. Like 98% of the time I just, I can't watch baseball. I think it's too slow, but there was like a scrappiness about that team specifically where like, we didn't really have any stars. Like there was no like huge star. Like it's different than the way it is with the chiefs, right? Like we have Patrick Mahomes, like that's a different <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, but like, it took that whole team like coming together and playing like this, like kind of scrappy baseball. And it was, it was so much to like, where like people would like message you that aren't from Kansas city that are like, Hey, I really like watching the Royals. Just like they're people fun. you hadn't talked to in a long time. They're like, they just are fun. They like play together and they play hard. And it's like, that's kind of like almost like a microcosm for the city at that point. As well. Yeah, you're totally right. That underground, that underdog story. You're exactly yeah. right, Chris. You guys, wow, we're getting deep on this. I love this, um, and I completely agree with that, Judy. To the point about 
you know, musicians having to work hard for it, though, too. I find it interesting when you do hear about artists that feel like they have to go to a bigger market, especially one with a, maybe a more developed music industry to make it. And then the reality there, whether it's competition or the higher rent, many of them, some of them do come back to Kansas City because they don't want to get involved maybe in that rat race. They yeah. don't want to deal with that. They, they want to be able to create and, and make a living too, right? That's yeah. important. They don't want to be starving artists. It's just not so easy just to pick up and move to New York or LA or Nashville. It's just yeah. it's really worth it, you know, to, to have to do it and then maybe sacrifice some of your artistic creativity. I don't know. Yeah, and really what is celebrityhood? What is that really worth anyway? Like seasons changing, yeah, it's that kind of story We were more than smoke and mirrors Oh, I've touched you myself with these two hands I can feel my heart beat loudly Oh, I miss you myself with my heart Now you see me, now you don't how about something you feel like, you know, the Kansas City music industry needs or could do better? You know, and I think one thing you just mentioned right there is it has been fairly affordable for artists. That's changing. And we see major issues with rent and people with housing here. Um, anything come to mind? And it could be related to record stores or venues or whatever. Well, I do think you're right. And I hadn't thought about that in terms of how that would impact the music scene, but it was, yeah, we need to get, we need to make our um, housing and living in Kansas City for artists um, accessible and comfortable. We need to continue that. We need to retain the original citizens of Kansas City. I have said it on a number of board meetings. I've said that over and over and over again, and I don't feel like that is an, an effort um, made by the city right now. And I think that needs to absolutely be fixed and that would impact the music scene online. I also feel like something that I, I, I don't feel like I'm not original in saying this. And I feel like a number of people have said this, but I do think that Kansas City is ready now to accept and listen to and welcome criticism and, and, and constructive feedback in a way that's mm -hmm. going to help them to grow. And I feel yeah. like that um, if you stand up and there's a lot of stigma around being critical and even that's constructive criticism, not critical where you're just being an asshole. Like that's not, no, that's just not constructive and that's not helpful. But there mm -hmm. are things to say that could help mold a better culture and, or make better music or make better people in the scene, et cetera. And it should be okay to say that. And not in a council culture sort of situation and gossiping, but there's just, you know, and I feel like that if Kansas City would be open to that, I feel like there would, it would only be a growth situation. And uh, I would love to have people, I'd love to know that people felt more comfortable voicing um, their thoughts. And even if those thoughts weren't all just superlatives. Judy, that's why we, that really was, Chris knows, that was the mission of this podcast was 
and it's turned into more about the, the human being behind the venue or the record store, the record label, because we like listening to you. But no, that really was the intention of this program was to, it's not about criticism. It's not a negative word. It's like, let's evaluate, let's analyze, yeah. let's really yeah. see what we could do better here to keep our musicians here so they don't move away. So they don't sign with a record label. And I always say Ohio, I don't know why, poor Ohio, uh, Tennessee, whatever. And so if you don't have those honest conversations about what you can do better and, and find ways to make a stronger industry and community, it's just not going to happen. And I think that people here are very so nice and kind. And that is a very important quality, especially in 2021. Yeah. But I don't necessarily want to be a cheerleader. I would you know, tell my students all the time, like my job is not to tell you that everything's great. I'm a doctor here. You can't finish a sentence. You don't know that vinyl is not a <laughs> So I'm not criticizing you. I'm just trying to let you know you're going to keep making these mistakes. And if, if we can get to a place, I think, where we can openly share that um, and differences of opinion, it's going to make for a stronger, a stronger industry. Yeah. Do you, have you all ever done any, like, um, record store-like conversations we we i asked we had like a, a label summit back in november and i've been really bad about getting these notes but we had mm -hmm. about 20 plus record labels in kansas city and um we had about a dozen participate and it was really just kind of an icebreaker first meeting but very quickly we started talking about things like where are we getting our vinyl mm -hmm. what are you using for your manufacturer um, what are you pricing things like what are the pros and cons of this particular and it was it was awesome yeah. I mean, we just have not had a chance to do one again. Has there ever been talk of that with record store owners? Um, I don't think so. I have not that, not that I've been involved in. Um, I do, you know, probably, I, I don't know if this is it or not. I do know that like, just in terms of, there's so many different adventures that I'd love to be a part of. And, and especially right now, they're trying to keep payroll costs low that, yeah. um, I'm doing all I can do to keep that store going. <laughs> I hear you. I'm not keeping it going. It sounded really desperate and I don't mean that. But sometimes just owning your own business and just being in charge of that business is a full, you know, full and part-time job combined. Yes, Judy. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that because I think that's a great idea. I think that probably is why that stuff hasn't happened. Yeah. Oh, no. And that's why we haven't had another meeting with the labels. But I, I kind of brought that up too, thinking about venues, Chris. You know, I mean, you're still receiving no income. You're still receiving no assistance from the government. And so what was it, last June when NEVA formed? The National Independent mm -hmm. Venue Association? Yeah, I think it was June. There, there'd never been one before because by definition, you're an independent venue. We don't want to be a live nation. We're not, we, we do things the way we do things, but because yeah. of the pandemic, it basically forced some venue owners to kind of, you know, circle the horse and be like, we have got to put our heads together and see. And I'm sure there were some tough conversations in there. I bet you there were some people that probably didn't particularly care for the other person's business practices, but let's see what we can do. Like, how are you guys going to do ticketing? How are you going to do, um, you know, I just think that opportunities arise where perhaps, you know, joining those forces, at least putting your heads together might lead to some better industry practices. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. Because I know that I've gotten, um, um, I've formed some relationships with different um, stores across the country. And I've learned so much, even just from those conversations. 
So it only makes sense that it would happen um, market-wide as well. Yeah, yeah. Again, if we all had the time in the day. Right. Um, this has been a wonderful conversation. Yes. Are we missing anything? Did I, did you, was there anything else you want to? I just want to say thank you so much because like I said, I, you know, I feel like this has sort of been an uninspiring time for me personally in terms of just having these great ideas like, oh, we can't execute this. Why haven't we done that? Oh, because we're in a pandemic, you know, like there's just in general. And so this has been, um, so thank you for giving me an opportunity to sort of like dream again and think about things and have a great conversation. And, um, and you guys listening to me and asking great questions. So thank we're, you for that. We're dreaming and scheming with you, Judy Mills. <laughs> we still appreciate your time today, continuing to serve the community with, again, Chris just pulled out three killer records right there. I don't have the second one. I guess I have to go get that, uh, the Al Green. Um, and with the bookstore, we want to wish you, you know, the best of success with that. I think you've got a great young man with Dylan Piles running that he's amazing. show. And he's been with you for five, six years at least already. Yeah, because he, I, I don't even know exactly the number of years because he would go to school and come back or, you know, several right. times, but solidly now for almost two years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But, for, but overall, probably like five years. Yeah. That's what I thought. Um, you've got a great team. We're so appreciative. Chris, thanks so much for your participation again today, too. We're looking forward to some more episodes this year. And um, we will certainly be excited and try to spread the love as we get closer to Record Store Day. <laughs> thanks for all the both of you do. Kansas City, stay safe, stay strong. Peace out. Take care, guys.